0: All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for all that you were doing in and through uh, this local uh, church family. Lord, thank you for all the kids over in Kingdom Kids, and we pray for them even now, Lord, that uh, you would speak to their hearts. And Lord, uh, what a privilege to see the next generation uh, being taught the Word of God, uh, growing in their faith, coming to know Jesus. Uh, So thank you. pray you bless the Kingdom Kids staff and all the volunteers. And and then, Lord, for everything... um, that you put on our heart from the mission trips to the summer events and beyond, Lord. Uh, it's all, Lord, uh, part of your vision, all part of your plan to to minister, to to help make disciples of Jesus. And and so, Lord, uh, we commit it all to you and ask for your continued provision and, and direction for everything here, because this is your church, and we just want to be really good stewards of it all. And And now, Lord, as we open your word, once again, we thank you. Uh, for what you've been speaking to us about biblical hope, Lord. And we think about the, uh, the things that happen in our lives, the things that are happening in this country, the things that are happening around the world. And oftentimes there just seems to be a sense of hopelessness and helplessness and despair and discouragement. And into all of that, we have learned the last several weeks since Easter that as believers, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. We need not live in fear. We need not live in bondage to insecurities to, uh, Lord, be circumstance-driven. We can, because of the living hope we have through Jesus, we can enter every day and live every day in confident expectation and enthusiasm because you are still God. And we know that our names even now are written in the book of life. So, Fathers, we continue this morning to look at biblical hope. I pray for those maybe here this morning or those that are maybe listening uh, in their cars or wherever they might be listening to this, I, I pray for those that might be feeling a sense of discouragement, despair, hopelessness, Lord, that you would speak to them. Speak to them through your word, Lord, that they would um, respond, that we would all respond, Lord, in faith and obedience to what you're going to say. So, so we love you, love your word, and give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had the privilege uh, to be here uh, for the women's event and, and to, uh, preview the videos and listen to the videos and, and you know, it was really, it was really a blessing. I, I, I sat there and I was listening to Betty and Doris and Joanne and Sally share their story, their walk with Jesus, their, their family, um, histories on, on this, you know, sort of this end of the timeline of earth, their time on earth, kind of in retrospect. Right. And, and it was really good because I was thinking, you know, this is really helpful for us who have been looking at biblical hope, because what we're trying to do and, and what I'm praying that God gets you to, to really understand and for me to understand that. If you understand and grasp biblical hope, it radically changes your perspective, but forward looking. So yesterday we were blessed because Sally and Doris and Betty and Joanne, they shared their story, but it was retroactive. And they were, they were sharing how God, in, in retrospect, had moved, how God, in retrospect, had comforted them. You know, uh, Sally sharing about uh, her journey with her brain tumor. Joanne sharing about moving to 17 high schools or 17 schools in her childhood. And, and then they asked the story about where were you when, when uh, you heard about Pearl Harbor. Right? And, and I was thinking about that because to them – In that pocket, in that moment of time, that was a big deal. When Pearl Harbor came over the radio, the radio at that time, right? That's a big deal, right? Joanne having to move and go to the 17th school was probably a big deal. She says her dad enlisted, and so their family moved from L.A. and spent the war years in Mississippi. That was a big deal. Right. Sally sharing about her journey with her brain tumor and and her kids and, and the family. Each of those was a big deal. Right. And it's so interesting to hear them sharing way over here as as they're on this timeline of Earth and their young 80s. Right. Plus now they're talking about them with perspective. They're talking about them with perspective. But in the middle of it, I'm sure it would have been a whole other deal. And so I thought about that in terms of what you and I are going through and what we're learning through with biblical hope, because Lord willing, we still have some time on this planet. Amen. The flip side of that is Jesus says, if you're on this planet, you're going to have tribulation. If you're on this planet, you live in a fallen world, a broken world, an imperfect world. And so for us. This this teaching and what we're learning on Biblical Hope, my prayer for you is that it gives us a sense of biblical perspective moving forward. Because I guarantee you, in my life and in your life, there's still going to be some big events coming. There's going to be some big deals coming your way. And Biblical Hope, we've seen, lays an incredible foundation for us as believers of how you're going to deal with that how you're going to process that, how you're going to walk through that, so that, Lord willing, so that when you're in the middle of it, you're processing it, hopefully with the the foundation and perspective of biblical hope, so that in the end, you'll be able to look and say, God was glorified in that. See, as you learn biblical hope, as you apply, apply biblical hope through the ups and down, the peaks and valleys, the joys and sorrows of life, what will happen is, in retrospect... You're going to see what God did in and through you in the midst of that. In the midst of that. And that's, that's my prayer. So, so what have we seen? It was, it, we really launched off it on Easter. 1 Peter 1 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ not only is foundational to our salvation, not only is foundational to Us being here, because like I said repeatedly, if the resurrection didn't happen in the timeline of Earth's history as a historical event, you know what? Let's just go home and barbecue and get ready for the NBA playoffs. Because I wouldn't be here if the resurrection didn't happen. The Bible says we're silly. It's futile. It's ridiculous. Because we're all still in sin. We have no hope. And uh, you're just fooling yourself. So we've seen and we looked at that, and, and, and not, only so, not only is the resurrection foundational to salvation in the gospel, everything we believe about this in heaven, it's foundational to living hope, because living hope ultimately is a person, right? And we've been talking about the world's view of hope is hope so, the world's view is I hope I win the lottery, I hope the Dodgers win, the Dodgers win right, this whole row, right? The world's view is hope. So I hope I hope I hope where we've seen that the biblical view of hope is hope. Sure. Because of the resurrection, I know, I know, I know. Just if you got those that that right there could radically change what's about to happen in your life, probably before you go to sleep tonight. For some of you, there's for all of us. Who knows what's going to happen between now and whenever you're going to put your head on your pillow. So if you're you're living in hope so, or you're living in hope sure, how you deal with it is going to be radically different. Radically different, right? That's what we've been talking about. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so important. As believers, we sort of have bought into this sort of insecurity, victim mentality, circumstance mentality, and we're not living with confident expectation, we're just not we just you know you think of the early disciples, right? they turned the world upside down because they were bold, they were courageous, they were confident, and I wonder where did where did the church lose that where Where did we become? They they sort of like have to scurry around with our tails between our legs type of thing. And we just, oh, we just want to do, oh, and don't. oh, Where did that come from when we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Where did that come from when we believe that as you sit here, your name is written in the book of life? Where did that come from when the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is the third person of the Trinity, which is God? Right? That's, this is why we got to get back to just this biblical hope. Because too many of us in the church, as followers of Jesus, we're just kind of like punks. That's where I come from. We just call it punks. You're just being a punk. It's like, come on. He rose from the dead. You're a new creation in Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been born again into the family of God. You have everything you need for life and godliness. The real question is, when are you going to believe it? When are you going to believe it and just act on it? Just act on it. Just, yeah, just believe it. As cray-cray as it sounds, just believe it. And that fast, you can go from hope so to hope sure. Just a matter of believing it or not. Just a matter of choosing to believe it, right? Alan Carr says, our hope is a living hope that is sure, certain, and real, as opposed to the deceptive, empty, false hope the world offers. You see, many are a are pinning their hopes on their 401k plan. Many have their hope in the stock market. Some have their hope in their health or their family. This is a hope based in wishful thinking. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not refer to a fond wish or desire. It means a confident assurance based on the word of God. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an excited response. It's supposed to produce something. I shared this before, right? You tell your kids we're going to Disneyland. How many get excited? It produces an excited response. Right? Ladies, if your husband said, I'm taking you out to dinner tonight. An excited response. (laughs) Ain't happening, but you had an excited response for a moment. Right? (laughs) <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Taco Bell, it is. <laughs> see, see, that's an excited response. Taco Bell. So we went out. We went out on our honeymoon, right? Was it right? Uh, no, on our not uh, the night we got married. Yeah, we got hungry, so we walked to Taco Bell. And um, see. Get off cheap. So, uh, (laughs) excited response. You're supposed to have this excited response. The living hope that's spoken of is supposed to be lived. You see, when we say living hope, we go, oh yeah, Jesus is alive, so it's a living hope. No, it's a living hope because we're supposed to live it. It's supposed to be lived. If we'll choose to live it, man, oh man, you'll be set free. Man, oh man, God will do radical things in your life. Like right now, in the midst of the circumstances you're facing, right now, if you choose to live it, it can be flipped. Not that the circumstance itself may may not change. You'll change because now you're living the living hope. Biblical hope has been brought into your circumstance. It's been brought into it. What have we learned? Just a quick list for those of you who haven't been with us. Biblical hope is a person, Jesus. Biblical hope is rooted in Scripture, Biblical hope impacts our joy, faith, and love. Biblical hope motivates us to be godly. It's a motivator. Biblical hope is part of our testimony. Biblical hope is an anchor for our lives. Biblical hope is rooted in faith and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, biblical hope is a choice. It's a choice, right? Acts 27. We saw this was our our launching point last Sunday. Apostle Paul got arrested. He says, hey, take me to Caesar. So he gets on a ship. They're going to Rome. Big hurricane comes. They're freaking out, right? Crazy hurricane is happening. The crew is throwing things overboard, trying to lighten the ship. Paul says, hey, time out, guys. Last night, an angel appeared to me. God says, I'm going to go see Caesar. And by the way, all of you are going to survive too, right? And so because he believed that word of God, how he went through the storm was radically different than the crew. The crew heard that, but then they tried to jump ship. Having heard Paul's word, they still wanted to try to sneak off the ship. And Paul's like, don't do it. You're going to die. Don't do it. You got to stay on the ship. And I love that story because Paul had to make a choice. He heard something from the word of God. He was still in the storm. The storm did not abate. But he chose to believe the word and that radically changed him. That's what he was clinging to. The word that he had heard was his source of peace and strength. Right. And then we saw in the Psalms, same choice to be made. Psalm 42, it says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. The psalmist is writing and is bummed out, like he's seriously discouraged, in despair, just tanking right now because the good old days are gone, living in the past. This person right now is bound in the past. I remember, and gosh, and I don't know what happened, and... I just want to go back, and it was so good, and my life's so messed up now, and it's just not the same. I remembered, and we talked about how many of us are bound up in the past. What are you remembering that's keeping you stuck, that's keeping you bound, right? So in the midst of this downward spiral, a choice is made. Look at this. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will. There's the choice. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. I love this. This is a sermon I said last Sunday. Preach it to yourself. If you're a believer and you're going through something and you feel like you're going down the tube, you got to have a moment. Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so sad? Why are you tanking? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. It's a choice. It's a choice. The psalmist, again, this is, I love this because this is a person who, like many of us, is getting caught up in their head and just rehearsing over and over all the stuff of the past. And in the rehearsing all the stuff in the past, they're tanking in the present. I love this because they have the wherewithal to go, wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out, wait. Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so sad? I want to put my hope in God right now. That's the hope you have right now. Right now. Some of you may have come in here just like bombed. Just like tanking, just like I can't believe, and da, 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 da. Here's the radical thing before you leave here. You can put your hope in God. Because it's your hope in God. Not my hope for you in God. It's your hope. See, sometimes I think it's like we come to church. And you hear a pastor talk about hope, 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 and you get encouraged because he's telling you to have hope. But you forget the application. Have hope. You come and you hear someone talk about hope and tell you that you should have hope and how good hope will be in your life. But you miss actually the real application. You having hope. If you're excited and you, know, you get excited because I get excited up here, and, da, 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 and, this, and you go, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. I, I get that, but please don't stop there. You have to put the hope. It's your hope, just like you're sitting in those chairs. Just like you're sitting in those chairs. Exercise the same amount of faith and belief in hope, in God, as you are in that chair that you're sitting in right now. You are resting fully in that chair. Resting God the same way. And see what happens see what happens right so it's a choice and 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 here's the other thing and and this is where we're going to launch in today sometimes when we when we see these stories like paul in, in a in a storm and we use it as an illustration for hope sometimes if we're not careful we compartmentalize biblical hope to crisis it's what i call crisis christianity It's like, we're good, we're good, church, I don't know. Okay, let's go. You know, we flip a coin because everything is good. And everything is good. Uh, I don't want to do that reading plan because everything is good. Ah, pray. I don't really need to pray because everything is good. But what happens when the storm hits? Got to go to church. Got to start reading. that. I got got to get back on track with the reading plan. I'm up at 5 a.m. praying. It's what we call crisis Christianity because now we need hope. That's why when there's a war or there's a disaster or an economic issue in the country, what happens to the churches? They fill up. They fill up because there's a crisis. There's a natural emergency. we got to go to God. But as soon as the storm blows through, what happens to attendance? Right? So biblical hope, you got to guard yourself against saying, well, things are good right now. I don't really need hope, pastor. Thank you living hope is supposed to be lived daily daily it's not spur of the moment right you see in uh, mostly on the east coast when they have hurricanes coming about a week or two out what do they tell the residents hurricanes coming every day now some heat it and make preparations others ah. Ah. right hurricane hits You hear all the 911 calls blow up. And sometimes you hear stories. I wish I would have heeded. I wish I would have left. I wish I would have made preparations. I wish I would have boarded up my house. I wish I wish. Right? It's kind of the same thing with biblical hope. You can't wait for the crisis to hit. And then suddenly decide... Right? Now, God may use a crisis to bring you to him. I'm not saying he doesn't use crisis to bring us to our knees and say, I need you. I can't control this. This is bigger than me. I'm at the end of myself. God often uses those circumstances to bring us to him. But for those of us who aren't in it right now, I really want to encourage you. Biblical hope is not about crisis Christianity. It's not like the God 911 number. It's about living it daily so that when the storms come, as Jesus says, your house is already built on the foundation. You're already ready. In many senses, you can call it this, you're a biblical prepper. Living, you're living hope, you're a biblical prepper. Because Jesus said the trials and tribulations will come. So are you living in this living hope? Or are you just waiting and you're gonna gear it up when the next crisis hits? You can't that's not relationship, that's using God. That's not a true loving relationship. That's just like, ah oh, yeah, I'll call you, you know, don't call me, I'll call you, type of relationship. What is that? What is that, right? First Peter one thirteen says this therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? When it says fix your hope or set your hope fully, it means pull your thoughts together. How many of you have ever been in a situation, crisis situation, stressful situation, and your mind just races? And you, don't, you can't even gather yourself. Anyone, right? That, that's what happens. You get the phone call, your boss, you know, you get laid off, whatever, and your, your mind is just reeling. Anyone just have, get in a situation where your mind's reeling, Right? That's what they're talking about here. It's like you've got to train yourself daily to get your thoughts together, to be, to, to be ready, to be sober-minded, to prepare your mind for action. You can't just be all loosey-goosey. You've got to be dialed in. You've got to be laser-focused, right? Wayne Groom says this, Such hope and great blessings when Christ returns not only encourages downcast Christians, it also prompts, prompts a reordering of priorities to God's agenda and inevitably leads to ethical changes in one's life. When you have your hope, your priorities change. Your priorities change. Your actions change. Your choices, your life choices change when you have this hope, when you understand it, right? And so you're like, okay, so, Pastor, I get it. I need to live living hope. We're supposed to live it daily. How do you do that? I love it. We're going to look at it. How do you do that? Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In the New Living, it says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Do you hear what he's saying here? Hey, here's some positional truth, guys. You've been raised with Christ. And by the way, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And by the way, Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, that's good news for you. He says, out of this positional truth, Here's what you do daily. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things that are above. Set and seek. If you want to know how to live living hope, set and seek, right? Seek, it means it's a continuous desiring or hungering for the things of God. It's it's continuous. It's it's just hungering. It's desiring the things of God, right? When it says set your mind... It says it's the basic orientation. It's the thought patterns of your life, right? In the King James Version, it says set your affection, right? So question, if you were honest, what this past week have you set your mind on or what were you seeking most this past week? Where was your heart and mind set on? Was it the things above or the things below? Right? That's what he's talking about. David Guzik says, The best Christian living comes from minds that are fixed on heaven. And this isn't positive thinking. This isn't positive thinking. This isn't mind over matter. This is a deliberate choice to set my mind on the realities of heaven. To set my mind on the realities of heaven. When I do that, the things of earth get put right where they need to be. Right where they need to be. Right? John MacArthur says this, Paul is not advocating a form of mysticism. Rather, he desires that the Colossians' preoccupation with heaven govern their earthly responses. To be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there and his purposes, plans, provisions, and power. It is also to view the things, people, and events of this world through his eyes and with an eternal perspective. When Christians begin to live in the heavenlies, they will live out their heavenly values in this world to the glory of God. You see why, why the church is kind of anemic and so powerless? Because the church has kind of got sucked into focusing on the things of the world. The politics, the economy, all the stuff of the world. The church has got sucked so down deep into it. Not that we don't care, but we've become consumed by that, that we're not heavenly minded anymore. We don't we don't view it through the lens of heaven in eternity. We are now reacting and acting and thinking and speaking just like the non-believing world. Why? Because we're not heavenly minded. We're not heavenly minded. Philippians, Paul says this. We kind of have this dual citizenship. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you and I have this kind of challenge. We're like dual citizens. It's kind of crazy, right? It says this in Philippians three brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Right. So here's that's the earthly crowd. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's like, hey guys, we're surrounded by people who are consumed with the things of earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. You've heard that whole thing. Because we're, truly our citizenship is in heaven. So let me ask you something. Are you acting like a citizen of heaven? Do you conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven? Do you handle your finances in your relationships, your work ethic, at school, at work, on sports teams? Do you conduct yourself as a true citizen of heaven who just happens to be on planet Earth for a time? Radically would change everything if you conducted yourself as a citizen of heaven, right? And it's challenging, It's challenging. How many of you find going to work challenging? Okay, you guys are awesome because no one here finds anything with work challenging. Right? You're like, wow, that's awesome. Okay, now for those who just didn't lie, how many of you find going to work challenging? Getting up and going to work. Challenging. The people at work. Challenging. The person next to you. Just kidding. Don't say No, Right? The church can be challenging, right? It's, it's tough to live on this planet, but we're a, we're a citizen of heaven. How do you do that? Well, Colossians just told us, set your minds up there while you're down here. And I love this. I love God's creation. I love God's creation because I'm studying this, and there's, there's, there's this thing called a four-eyed fish. Check it out. It's awesome. I love God. This is a four-eyed fish. He lives, or she, it, lives on the surface. It really doesn't have four eyes. It has two eyes, but each eye has two pupils. One eye is for looking up. Layer of tissue, one eye to look down. One eye looking down is for food, for living. One eye looking up is so a bird doesn't come snatch me. One eye is for the predators. One eye is for, I'm, I'm where's my prey? That's us. We got to figure this out. We're like biblical four eyes. We, we got to like maneuver our time on this planet Earth with our eyes up and our eyes down. Amen. That requires the Holy Spirit. How do you do this? How do you do this? And I thought about that because a lot of us, we get the eyes down, and we get consumed with the eyes down, the bills and the hells and the And all above us is the world and the flesh and the devil circling, because we ain't looking up anymore, we're consumed with the down, and they just come and swoop, and they just come and swoop. It's both. That fish lives in both. All the time. To survive. I love that. And that's why Colossians is so important. Seek those things that are above. Set your heart on things above. Two eyes. And with your other two, honor me and do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. In the power of the Holy Spirit. That's living hope. That's living hope. How do we do this? Romans 12 He says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What does Matthew six say? Don't store up for your Don't store up treasures here on earth with moss, eat them and rust destroys them or where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Right? First John 2. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I love those passages because he's trying to help us. He doesn't leave us helpless. He's telling us, hey, don't be conformed. Get into the word. Walk in the spirit. Right? First John 5 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Another way, New Living says this, dear children, keep away from anything, anything that might take God's place in your heart. Wow. So how do we do this? How do we look up and look down? Well, he says right there, don't do it, don't keep your, you know, we say keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So what today? Is there something that's taking God's place in your heart? And I'm not even talking a bad thing. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be a relationship, could be a good job, could be whatever. It doesn't have to be bad things. But if anything in my life, even this ministry, becomes more important in my life than god it's an idol ministry one of the biggest challenges of doing this and god blessing this and all of this is this can become an idol and i can get all my esteem and everything and my attaboys and all this stuff from you and from people in the community yada yada and suddenly i'm not really loving god i'm just idolizing the well doesn't have to be a bad, evil thing. Even the good things in our life can slide in and become idols, right? So we got to be real careful about what we choose to think about. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what does it say? Think about these things. So... If you did a thought journal for the last five days, what were you thinking about most of the time? Those types of things or the things of the world? Just do a thought journal because your thought journal will reveal a ton about where you are in your relationship with God, why you're struggling with things, why you don't have this hope, where's your joy, where's your peace, why you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit... A lot of it is going to come back to, what are you thinking about most of the time? What truly is the center of your life? What is the passion? What is the passion? I love this quote by Bishop Lightfoot. He says, you must not only seek heaven, you must think heaven. So what have you really been spending your time, energy, thoughts, resources on when you're not here? When you're not here, right? Sports, hobbies, TV, gaming, career what consumes you other than god right now what's competing what's competing at the center right now that is that you know is is, is skewing you're looking up and looking down and making you look much more down than up right much more down first commandment right matthew 22 teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law jesus replied love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind what in your life is competing with god right now even a good thing what's what 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 where do you spend your thoughts what are you remembering what are you rehearsing that keeps you bound up that keeps you from just enjoying god and walking and living this living hope right i was thinking about this in and uh, I was a fan in the years ago that series that came through with the Pirates of the Caribbean right Captain Jack Sparrow if you're a pirates fan right and Jack Sparrow had a compass he had a compass but it wasn't a normal magnetic compass because a normal magnetic compass points where north because it plays off the earth's magnetic field so if anywhere you can be in the middle of the ocean you open the compass it goes wing and it because of the earth's magnetic field attracting the magnet it points north well jack's compass didn't work that way did it right in fact he talks to elizabeth swan another character he says true enough this compass does not point north where does it point it points to the thing you want most in this world you see, Jack Sparrow's compass wasn't about the external magnetic field. It was a revelation of what Jack wanted most in the world. And so if Jack wanted a treasure, that would point him to a treasure. Not north. It was pointing him to what he wanted most in his heart. If Jack wanted to be with Elizabeth, the arrow went to Elizabeth. Right? And I was thinking about that in terms of keeping our eyes and what's, what's the center. So I was like, you know what? I gotta get me one of them compasses. <laughs> so I got me a Jack Sparrow compass. And I was I'm, I've been like playing with this. I'm like, this is kind of cool, right? Right. Cause I'm like, okay, if this did what that did, where would this point, Pastor? Would this be pointing to things above? Where would this be pointing? Hey, worship leader, come here. This is our worship leader. So if I handed this to you and you were to show everyone, how willing would you be to, <laughs> to to hold that, to hold this, right? Little fear and trepidation because suddenly you might be outed. Like, he's the worship leader. What do you mean it's pointing to the commons and donuts? The glazed donuts, specifically to the glazed donuts, the more it would lead them there, right? Right? How many of us would really want one of these? It could be kind of scary, right? It would be a bit of a revelation. We would be outed. We couldn't hide behind what our words and our Bible memorization and all this. We couldn't hide behind it because the compass would really reveal to everyone the direction of your heart, right? So in in one way, that's scary, That's scary to Sunday church. That's scary because we're really good around here. At praise the Lord, brother. Good, 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 good. But I hand you this. Ooh, Ooh. right? Kind of right. Randy, you want one of these? Points at Chavez Ravine. Right, the Dodgers, the boys in blue. Right, it leads you right there. Right. So you, you could look at this as, as as fear and trepidation, like, no way, I don't want that. I don't want to be revealed. Or you turn it around and say, yeah, Lord, reveal it. Show me. Because here's the great thing about these compasses. You control the direction. You have a choice. If it's not pointing to God, then choose to make it point to God. That's what I'm talking about as believers. We're like, woe is me. I can't. I can't, can't. Well, the Bible says you're no longer a slave to sin. That Bible says you've been born again. New heart, new mind, new thoughts, new attitudes. You can choose to make this point to God. You can choose where this points. That's the point of living hope. See, if I wake up every day and and this isn't pointing where it should be, I can stop and I can spend time in the word, right? Here's three things. If, if, If your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, go ahead, Garrett, put up those three. Here's three helps, three W's if if the compass isn't pointed where it needs to be. Get in the Word, worship and pray, and get into the we, the church. If the compass is not pointed where it needs to be, which is God, there's three foundational means of grace to get it. And here's the radical thing. All of these are a choice. You can choose to be in the Word. You you can choose to worship and pray, and you can choose to be a part of a church. All three of these are designed to get this needle to stay true to God. Right? Question is if you were holding this, where is it pointing? Right now, where is it pointing? And if it's not where it needs to be, the good news and the great news is you can choose right now to make it start being where it needs to be. That's what I love. You guys can come up, Vinny and Shai, because it's a choice, right? What did Colossians 3 say? Set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. If you haven't been doing that, confess and ask God's forgiveness and just, make, just, just receive his forgiveness and make the change. Just change that's all you got to do. Don't live in condemnation. Don't live in guilt. Just change. If you've been consumed with your 401K and your career and your wealth and all that, and you realize, oh, man, that's an idol, well, then just confess it and get right. If you've been consumed with yourself and your arrogance and your pride and vanity, just, okay, like, Lord, forgive me for that. If you've been comfortable and complacent and apathetic in your faith, and this, was just, you know, this, this is really just pointing to me, because a lot of us, if we were holding this, you know where it would really point Right back to me. Because what's most important to me? What do I want most in my life? Me. Me to be comfortable. Me to be safe. Me to be protected. Me to be provided for. Me, 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 me. The word, worship, and the church keeps you focused out to God. That's That's why he gave us these things. So if you're going to be honest and this is not pointing where it needs to be, then you can resolve that right now. Just right now talk to God. Make it right. And then when you leave here, just keep making it right in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can choose to live this living hope. How do we do that? We well, told us in Colossians 3. Since you have been raised To new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So, Father, this morning we confess to you, we have not been thinking of the realities of heaven. We're, we've been consumed, we're perhaps entrenched in the things of the earth. What we see on TV, what we read on the internet, what people say to us, people like us, don't like us, try to fit in. We're consumed with pleasing man, being accepted. We're consumed with the things of earth. And yet, Father, you say, set your mind on things above and so Lord that's a choice we can make so in this time of prayer and this time of singing Lord we use it as a time of confession we use it as a time of decision and choice to choose where we'll set our mind and our heart to choose where the compass will point ultimately to Jesus